Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Joining me today is Rick Witter of Shed 7. Had a wonderful chat with Rick. Uh, I should say quickly, um, I think when I asked the first question, the Zoom audio just gets a tad glitchy. I think it happens maybe two times in the, in the whole podcast, and uh, after a couple of minutes, it's fine. But uh, I think a couple of um, sentences are a little, little glitchy. So uh, I'm imagining uh, the producer, 76, big thanks to him, will uh, do his very best to ensure it sounds lovely for your ears. Um also, I'd just like to thank Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. And if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track podcast, then uh, once you finish listening to me chatting to Rick, why not have a look in the archives? Over 150 episodes with uh, some of your favourite musicians, actors, DJs, comedians. You can hear episodes with the likes of blimey where to start where to start um kaiser chiefs death tones mel c maxine peak oh god fun loving criminals uh kooks wonder stuff oh the list goes on uh amanda abington um oh god yeah have a have a rummage because there's, there's there's about 170 in fact episodes that you can you can go and dig into, and, uh, and I'm sure there'll be a few there that uh, will tickle your fancy. Um, also, if that's not enough, I also have a Patreon page where you can support the podcast there and get access to two or three radio shows each week, rammed full of um, great indie records and some chat, uh, and loads of exclusive Patreon episodes and videos. Uh, you can find out about all of this stuff at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Com. Let's get on with today's episode. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with Rick Witter. It's Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording and sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom is Rick Witter. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Rick. Um, where are you? You up in you up in York? I'm up in York, North Yorkshire, England, Angleterre. Yes, I'm at home, sat in me kitchen slash dining area. Has uh, has Rick Witter coped uh, as as human being and creative uh, in this weird time we find ourselves in? Human being. <sighs> I totally understand it's horrible for people, but I've actually really enjoyed it. 
simply because when this kind of kicked off uh, beginning of springtime, that's kind of the time for me where I would just be at home anyway because we've just completed a big tour. So there wouldn't be much going on for me anyway. So it's, it didn't really affect me in the sense of, you know, worrying that I needed to be doing something. You know, it was nice to just go out and not see many people and just yeah. have a nice walk every now and again and just be at home listening to music. And fortunately, I'm in the position where, because we have just done a tour, financially it wasn't so bad for me. I could afford Cocoa Pops for my children. So, <laughs> you know, so it's just looking forward that it starts to be a slight more concern now that, I mean, obviously it wasn't going to disappear as as, as quick as this, but the fact that you put, you turn the, mute, the news on every day now and it's just proper scaremongering again, you know. So Massively. I've stopped watching the news, but then obviously you have to watch the news sometimes to find out what the most recent law is that we've all got to abide by. Mm. So, you know, slightly concerning regarding the fact that uh, it's supposed to love winter, this COVID, doesn't it? Isn't it? So, mm. you know, as we approach winter, let's all keep our fingers crossed that 100%. it doesn't go as bad as it was. Totally. Totally. Rick, should we talk about some records? Because that's... Uh... That's always a more joyful uh, thing to talk about than than COVID. Um, yeah. Well, just just before we do, creatively, you asked about creatively. Yeah. Um, very lazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, since my youngest has gone back to school last week, I've actually upped my game a little bit because there's always ideas flying around, and usually, anyway, they're done via email. You know, I'll get a, a guitar a couple of guitar chords thrown at me by one of the guys and then I'll sit and think of a melody and try and put some words to it, to it. And then, and then at that point you get together and try and make it into a, a thing. So excitingly, I've started doing that from last week now that things have kind of gone back to normal a little bit yeah. more, but you would have thought through their months of being locked away and not really having that much to do that I might've done a little bit more, but Oh no. Oh, do you know what though? It's like it's weird. I've, I've, you know, spoke to a lot of people like uh, doing these podcasts about these these things, and and I do. Nobody said like, oh yeah, I've wrote the lockdown album. You know, I've just uh, locked myself away. And like a lot of people sort of said, you know, they had that kind of knee jerk thing at the beginning of just thinking, oh right, okay, I've just got. To I've got to be really, really productive and just do loads and loads of stuff. And then it, it didn't actually happen. And then I think by the time you start to readjust a little bit into what, you know, what you want to call it a new normal or whatever, then yeah. I think people just, a lot of people done what you've done and just, you know, enjoyed the time and, you know, got to spend it with family and stuff. And yes. Uh, yeah, it was, it's a tough one, isn't it really? Cause you don't really want to disrespect anyone, but you know, it's tough in the sense that when you start hearing all of these people doing cover versions of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> well, fair, fair enough, you're obviously going to donate all the money to yeah. the NA or whatever, so that is fair enough. But some people just don't, don't know when to let it lie, do they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rick, what's the song with the greatest ever intro? <laughs> That's a good way of getting out of that, isn't it? <laughs> um, right, the song ever intro. Be honest with you, 
it's all of the songs I've chose for you. It's it's been very difficult. So if you could just bear that in mind, because it's very difficult to whittle anything down to one. So I will give you a song, but you also must be. Uh, there are so many good songs with a brilliant in for, for so many reasons, you know. So I've gone a bit. I've gone a bit curveball with this choice, but it's a band called The Soundtrack of Our Lives, um, a Swedish band that I think they split up a few years ago. Um, and they had an album called, well, they had a, a great album called Behind the Music, which won loads of Grammys, I think, mm. um, which had some brilliant tracks on. But um, it's a song called Mantra Slider, which was the first track off an album they had called Welcome to the Infant Free Bass or something. You know, considering the Swedish, when I first heard them, I didn't know that, and I just thought, who's this cool new indie band? Uh, expecting them to be from somewhere in England or or, or the UK, uh, and it just made it a little bit more special when I found out they're Swedish because not not that Europeans can't write good songs, but yeah. just it sounded it sounded classically, you know. It's got a very, a really good Stones vibe to it. It's Massively. And especially the second track on the album that, it, that bleeds out of that is a very kind of Stonesy song. So the first two or three songs on that album are brilliant, but just I just like the the intro to it. It's all it's a bit kind of Moroccan almost, you know, a bit African sounding and uh, an interesting use of sounds and instruments and the way it builds. Uh, before the drums kick in, which is halfway through the song, yeah, um, it's just you're just thinking, "Wow, this this is interesting. Where this where's this going to go?" But you know, as I say, I could have picked so many different songs yeah. with a classic guitar intro. So I've plumped for that one. That's a solid choice, Rick. I've got a, uh, when when you sent that through, it, you're the first person to shout out soundtrack of our lives uh, on this podcast, uh, and it's a great shout. And when you said you didn't know where they were from when you first heard them. I, I stumbled across the soundtrack of our lives. Um, my, my band years ago supported them on their first, oh, wow. on one of the early gigs at the Y club in was it the army and Navy in Chelmsford. Yes. And, uh, and I didn't know what to expect. I just, I'd heard this band like that they, they, they were foreign and, and we were supporting them. And that was all we knew. And then when they come out on stage and the front man had a proper sort of almost bowl haircut, looked, it was wearing like a caftan. And yeah. It, and then they started with the track, which I don't know if you know the track, Instant Repeater. Brilliant song. Fuck yeah, that's off that album. me. Yeah. What a fucking record. Instant Repeater 99. Oh. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I yeah, was like, song. oh. And, and I, I got the album vinyl off of them that night. I've still got it yeah. all signed up. And they ended up sort of doing really well, didn't they? I think Oasis took them out on a few tours, didn't they? Yeah, I think they might have done. Yeah, they, they, had, a, they had a purple patch, definitely. Mm. Um, uh, I saw them play once at festival in the very early noughties I think uh, they were playing in a tent and he you know he had the, he had the crowd in the palm of his hand he's a big fella the singer, yeah. he's quite a big unit yeah um, which again that's another kind of potch of character band there was like the archetype rip poppy yeah you know old unit singing it they were like it's like you couldn't make it up yeah you know what I mean but but together together they, they created some great music Absolutely. Um, so, Rick, in regards to writing records and and, and approaching intros, um, has uh, uh, have you been affected um, by the way that people maybe listen to music 
when Shed 7 first come out to now in the world that people listen to music in a very different way now, uh, when I say listen to it, where they get it from, um, has it affected the way that you write records? No. Um, Do you know what I mean by that question? I've never got this question right, and I've been trying to ask it for about 200 episodes, but just through Spotify and streaming and how sometimes people now just cherry-pick tracks rather than buy albums. Yeah, well, it hasn't affected me personally, apart from perhaps financially with things like Spotify, um, but I don't really know enough about it. I do do read a lot, actually, and and at the minute on on Twitter, which I use... um, there's an awful lot of good souls out there who are trying to get to the bottom of just why these big companies are taking the lion's share of something that somebody else has written. And I'm Mm. kind of hopeful that that might change. But apart from that, Shed 7 as a band since bands we were in before Shed 7, you know, with similar members coming and going, it's always just been sit down and write a song. It's never been thought out. We've never thought, right, let's write a song about that. It's just, it just happens. And we never, when we got to the point where we were having to write albums and then three or four B-sides per single, so you're having to write 25, 26 tracks for an album campaign, we never, ever sat down and tried to write a single we just wrote a batch of songs and then shows which we thought would be the good single you know and which one is slightly less adequate and then that would become the extra track on a 12 inch single even though none of our songs were less than adequate thank you very much before you get yourself in there Um, but you know yeah I totally get it's changed a lot I mean obviously we spent 16 years between releases between the last album we had and the one previous to that so yes the whole music industry had changed in the respect that weirdly we released an album on bmg three years ago almost three years ago um and we didn't really have anything to do with the record label in any way whereas in the 90s we we had our finger in a lot of different pies we we had a big say in well, we tried to have a big say in in every element of the release. But I think maybe this time, because we'd already written the album and and we'd already recorded it and we'd mixed it um, and we'd got the artwork together ourselves, I guess it was probably a lot easier for BMG just to say, right, we'll help you uh, take the line. Yeah, thank you very much. So, you know where you would you you'd hear about something that you really wanted to get and you'd wait a week until it was released into a record shop and you'd go down there and you'd physically find it on the racks and then you'd give over your money for it yeah and then you'd get it in your red rhino bag and get back on your bike and cycle home with, with massive anticipation and then listen to it and listen to it and listen to it probably from start to to, to end in the order of how it should be mm. And nowadays, yeah, you can just cherry pick. You can think, right, well, I like that song and I'll just maybe just listen to 10 seconds of this on iTunes to see if I like this before I buy it. And, oh, no, that, the in- so, again, an intro. If you don't like the intro of something, this is another reason why we called our last album Instant Pleasures because it is all about that. It's like people are rushing around too much and they've not got time to think about things. So if they're not liking the intro after 10 seconds, they're moving on to the next one, you know, yeah. 
and and that's something that people have sat down and cre- created and spent an awful lot of time. Yeah, you know, it's fair enough if you don't like something, you don't like it. You know, we've never been precious. If people and believe me, certainly in the nineties, a lot of people used to love telling me that they didn't like Shed Seven. But you know, <laughs> move on, move on. You yeah, know what I mean, I don't care as long as. As long as there's some people who do like it, who cares? You, you, you touched on something that I thought was was interesting about you know, uh, uh, and I know that there's, there's 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 pluses and negatives for 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 how people listen to music now and and how we listen to music, you know, throughout the the nineties and, and, and onwards. But I do think, without sounding like a granddad, the the value there is value in that getting on a bike or whatever, going to the record shop, buying that record, going home and putting it on. You appreciate there. You've got something tangible. And I think that that journey to get that and the fact that you can only afford one does make you value it. And if you don't like yeah. it on the first listen, you've paid six, seven quid for it. You will listen to it again. And I yeah. think like, and, and you've got to appreciate the cover art as well, a lot more than possibly you do now. Well, I was just going to pick you up on that. There was times where I would go to a record shop and if I had a few pounds to spend, um, the, there's been a, many an occasion when I was younger where I would buy an, an album or a 12 inch single off the strength of the cover without even knowing anything yeah. about the book. And that's massive potluck. Mm. And, you know, that, there's no, no better feeling if you took something home because you bought it off the strength of what the cover looks like. Yeah. Brilliant. Then there's no better feeling. But then eight times out of ten, you <laughs> get it home, it's sure. absolutely awful. So, you know, but that's, again, there's a buzz in that somewhere, isn't there? There's a buzz. Yeah, of course. You know, I, when I was 14, I, I, I used to help the local milkman out. So I was getting up at half four in the morning and then finishing at eight and then getting myself to school for half eight. But at the end of the week, I'd have this little brown envelope with a few quid in it. And then I'd be straight off down to Red Rhino Records on a Friday, straight up to school, buying the, ne- the latest Morrissey 12 inch. You yeah. know? So then that's what it's all about really, isn't it? And yeah, you're right. There's, that's disappeared really, hasn't it? In the yeah. sense of you can just, type something in and then just click which is again the instant pleasures of all of this yeah as well as the fact that the the main bigger reason we called our last album instant pleasures was because everyone's a cracker mate (laughs) simple as that (laughs) what was the first song you remember hearing had an emotional impact on you rick uh right well that would be um Probably, I've, I always remember growing up with a lot of music. My dad always had music on in the house, or if we went on car journeys, there'd always be music on. He'd, he'd have his own things he'd listen to. He, he liked Tabber and stuff, um, and he liked Klaus Wunderlich and Bert Bacharach and stuff. But for me, the first time that my ears proper were pricked was probably The Smiths. For, for the emotional attachment of it um, and myself, probably like a lot of people who love the Smiths when you're a teenager, it kind of hits home a little bit what he's going on about. Um, you know, there's a song called Asleep, uh, which is about killing yourself, really, um, which I've always said I'd like playing at my funeral just to make everyone really pissed off. <laughs> uh but, you know, it kind of 
people who don't really get the Smiths just think it's miserable, and that's such a boring and easy way out because it's actually very, very humorous. Um, but then, you, as a teenager, you, you go through a lot of experiences, and he just had a real good knack of of explaining it really in a way and then add to that the musicianship behind it and and some of Johnny Marr's guitar sounds and the chords that chord progressions could almost make you cry on their own without Morrissey singing over the top of it so so as an impressionable young teen and especially when when, you know I got into them late on in their career so probably towards the end when I was at school um, I think they split in 86 or 87, didn't they? I think I got into them about 85. And there was a, probably a group of about five or six of us in our year group who really liked the Smiths and guitarist-style music. Uh, and everyone else in the year just liked Madonna and Thompson Twins. So we were the weirdos of the year. You know, we were the, the oddballs who liked that weird band uh, but that, to me, made it even more special. Completely, and that was who that was who Morrissey was singing for. You know, he was uh, he was that that bit of comfort. If you was if you was the you know you weren't in the the, the cool gang at school, that's where Morrissey was always there. You know, it's uh, you know I, I I don't I mean you're talking to a yeah. rich, hello. Can you hear me? Have I lost you there, Rick? Uh, you break, you, yeah. You're breaking up a bit. You're okay. back. Yeah, I'm back. Um, yeah, I mean, you're you're talking to a, a ridiculously big Smiths fan uh, here, Rick, and 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 yeah, I think like it, it, when people say they're boring, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's 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 a lot of somber lyrics, but then they're laced with a lot of wit. Uh, yeah, totally. And, and and Johnny Marr's guitars, like you know, some of the most I mean, it's an obvious one to use as a reference point, but Girlfriend in a Coma is one of the most joyous musical trips you could ever go on. But obviously mm. the subject matter is very morose. But Yeah, but then, but then, you know, Morrissey was guilty a lot of just taking a lot of storylines for songs from 1950s or 60s films, you know, and, and, the, and they're all great films as well. You know, the Billy Liar thing with um, the song that they had called London. Mm. It's, it's just basically a scene from Billy Liar. Uh, so very, very clever as well, you know. Um, but yes, as you say, with something like Girlfriend Nicole, it's, it's very joyous and up there. And then he comes along and does that. But, you know, being a bit of a fan and reading books, uh, it must have been quite weird, but also very entertaining because... Johnny Marr would send Morrissey uh, an almost complete song, you know. So he'd structured it where there's a verse and a bridge and a chorus. And Johnny Marr would be thinking, right, well, that's obviously the chorus because that's the hooky bit of the song in my guitar. And then Morrissey would arrive at a, at a rehearsal. No one would have heard anything about what he'd done to it and they'd all just have to play the song and listen for the first time in a room together what Morris has done to it. And nine times out of ten, they're going, bloody hell, well, wow, that's how, you know, totally different vantage point from what we would have done, to the point where Johnny Marr's idea of a chorus melodically became the verse because Morris had done something very clever and switched it around, you know, so it must have been quite exciting. 
So I've got to ask you, Rick, like because the the Smiths come up quite a lot on this this podcast, uh, and and I always you know ask the question: Can you can you separate the 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 man from the music in light of some of the things he said of of, of recent times? Uh, yeah, I can because I don't listen to what he says for a start. I'm not interested at all. Um, uh, and to be fair. You know, his early solo stuff was brilliant, but I've not really got massively into what he does mm-hmm. at, at the minute. And that's not—that's nothing to do with what he might say. I mm. just, you know, I just find it all incredibly boring. But because the Smiths were a time in my life that was so influential, I can definitely put any any Smiths album on right now and not think about Morrissey. I'd just sing along with it. Yeah, so, yeah, it didn't affect me in any way. Song that reminds you of your time at school, Rick? Well, I've touched upon that with the Smiths, but there was another band that I got quite into at school, and again, very, very indie, um, a band called the Soup Dragons. Uh, but this is pre-bag Soup Dragons, because a lot of people will know the Soup Dragons for I'm Free, that cover version of the Rolling Stones they did around the time of Final Scream and Stone Roses and all that, late 80s. But before that, they were kind of a real... Well, the beginning of their career, the, the very early singles were all very buzzcocky, kind of three, two and a half, three-minute trashy pop songs and and they were all really good and this is this is kind of the period that i was really into when i was at school and and again i was a bit of a music snob at school i've massively changed my opinion on music as the older i got but at school if it wasn't in the guitar i wasn't interested you know so again i was one of the weird ones who liked that really weird music um to the point where i actually had a denim jacket which i drew a huge Soup Dragons logo that I'd copied off one of the record covers onto the back of it. Um, so I must have been a bit of a fan, eh? Uh, but then their debut album proper was called This Is Our Art, uh, and it is a great album. I do, I do, I would recommend it to people if you've never heard of it. Uh, I would recommend if you're into good guitar indie music. There's lots of good catchy songs on there. Um, so I would recommend going and, and, and checking that out. It's an album called This Is Our Art, but there's a particular song on it called... Well, in fact, they're all good songs, but um, maybe because uh, there's a particular song called Majestic Head off that album, and it was around the time where I'd got myself a little moped towards the end of my school life, and it was a real kind of... It was like a drain pipe on wheels. <laughs> and It was orange, but it got me from A to B. Apart from it was a bit rubbish because at the time I was sporting a Morrissey quiff and it was always very difficult yeah. getting the helmet. Um, but I had this moped and I kind of nicknamed it Majestic Ped after the song Majestic Head. Um, <laughs> so that always had a little bit of a special place. And I liked the fact that it starts off very orchestral, a lovely string sound, and then it comes out with this really great guitar intro. In fact, it's a great intro. <laughs> I could have chose this, couldn't I, for my intro round. Um, but the actual song, and it took me a while to, to get this, or I might have read it somewhere, but the actual song Majestic Head is about a penis. All right. 
Mm. My Sean, majestic Sean, head. Sean Dixon's. Yes. Well, right. probably, because he wrote it, yes. So he was probably writing about his cock, <laughs> and I'm sat at home singing about his cock. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't read into that, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Our, um, yeah, I believe, I believe that's the case. I might be wrong. I don't mean to be slanderous, but I'm, I'm believe that that's what it is. And if you listen to the lyrics of it, let me let me introduce my majestic head. It's growing in size. Fantastically proud. It's growing in size. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, see, I think it is about his cough. Yeah, I, I think we ain't got a call inspector most to work that out. That's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> But to, to be honest, a lot of the songs off that album are absolutely brilliant. There's another song off that album called Turning Stone, which is great. So, yeah, if people get the time and they want to delve in, have a, have a shifty. Our, um... I, actually, I actually wrote to the Soup Dragons. I was that much of a fan. Get a reply? When I was about, well, when I was about 15, I wrote to them. Can't quite remember what I was asking. I must have been asking something, because why would you write otherwise? Uh, maybe I was asking, maybe I was being a bit of a fan and asking about a particular thing like, is that song about your cock? Who knows? Um, and didn't get a reply. Um, and then about five years later, and now I, now I think about it, I can't quite remember how I must, would have got this letter. I must, it must have been forwarded because I used to live in a few bedsits around York when I'd left school. So it must have been forwarded from address to address. But about five years later, I did get a reply off the bass player of the Soup Dragons, Sushil K. Dade is called, 
Um, so I open this letter and it's from Sushil K. Dade, apologising profusely <laughs> because they were just moving offices and they discovered my letter down the back of one of the filing cabinets. <laughs> so how, how good was that? That's, that's a later? top effort, isn't it? It really is because he didn't need to do that. Yeah. You know? And it kind of restored my faith in bands because I just thought, oh, they don't care. Yeah. You know? And he genuinely did. It was my unopened letter was discovered behind one of their filing cabinets. So, you know, he took the time. It took twenty minutes to reply to me and write. You know, so very nice. So if you if you're listening, Sushil, thanks very much for that. I'll always remember that. How was school, Rick? School was just there. It was an entity. It just needed to happen. Um, contrary to what people might think, I was quite a shy kid really and like to keep myself to myself even though I walked around sporting a huge quiff driving a a bright orange drain pipe on wheels um but we you know we stuck to our own little group really so I kind of tried to stay out of trouble as much as possible you know Uh, I do remember an occasion in first year, so when we were like 11, me and Paul Banks decided, because we were in the same year at school, me, me Paul and Tom, I should have said, we were all in the same year at school. And I remember me and Paul deciding that we were going to form a band when we were about 11 and a half. Uh, I was going to sing, he was going to play guitar. The, the, the only singing I'd done was along to records in my bedroom with an airbrush in my hand in front of the mirror. Paul, didn't, Paul had never even picked up a guitar. So we swanned around the school for the first year, probably just mentioning to people, well, we're in a band, you know, and obviously we hadn't done anything about it. But I do remember one lunch break being on the playing fields and uh, a couple of the harder boys from the year came running over to me, knocked me over. One of them kind of had their hand wrapped around my neck on the floor and I remember him saying to me, we've heard you're in a band, sing then. It's like, well, if you took your hand away from my neck for a start, <laughs> I might have a fighting chance. <laughs> so that was uh, that was my first kind of, that was my first bit of fandom, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, for track four, Rick, um, the first song you remember buying from a record shop? Right, yes, um... Sorry, the first thing I bought from a record shop. Um, I could lie or I could uh, be truthful. No one's been called on this podcast on this question. (laughs) Well, well, to be honest, I'm trying to be cool, but I can't. I do remember one of the first records that I received, but I don't think it was what I bought from a record shop. Okay. Um, And again... I think that's, I think so. I think that was Shawadi Wadi with Under the Moon of Love. By the way, that was the first kind of, and I think I had Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney on seven inch, which at the time I really liked. Yeah, um, but I was very young, um, and I have gone with the Lars, but that's I think I'm lying to you because the Lars. <laughs> okay. I think the first there she goes by the Lars. The, uh, it was reissued a few times. I think it originally came out in about 1988, mm. I believe. And it was one of those 
I might have heard it playing in the record shop and thought instantly, well, that's just brilliant. You know, the the, the guitar, the, the everything about it was just brilliant. And it was actually in a bargain bin at Track Records, and it cost me about 49p or something on 7-inch. I've still got it, the original with the original cover. Um, so I'm going with that, even though I think I'm lying, because... I was probably going out buying Morrissey 12 inches in 1988 as well. And probably not long after that, I was, I, I got into the Rolling Stones and all that. But yeah, I think I've lied to you. But anyway, it's the Lars. There she goes. Was you a big Lars fan? Oh, I love that album. I mean, who, who doesn't love that album? I don't. Do you not like that album? It's like, you know, there's, there's probably not any album. If, if somebody done a big thing of the, the 100 greatest indie albums of all time, I, I know that's going to be in there, and I'd probably love 99 of them. But there's, I mean, There She Goes is, is a cracking pop record. Um, Timeless Melody, that's all right. The album? Yeah, that's great. I, ju- I, just, I just can't get on with it. Well, well, each to their own and all that. I think for me... It is one of those great albums that flows really well from beginning to end. It's one of those important albums that you have to listen to all the way through. Um, And bearing in mind when it came out, this is before the Stone Roses. This is, you know, the the Smiths had finished. It was beat group retro that not a lot of people were doing at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was very important, I thought, that record. And, you know, very catchy. Yeah. But each to their own. Some people don't like us, and they're mental. <laughs> I got a problem with you, but yeah, the 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 the, the last, I just I know I should like it, and it's like, and I just I, I've tried, and it's like, and as a you know, I I, I run a, a an indie venue, and I've done for thirty years, and and I've probably played the you know the last to death over them in 30 years and and there she goes still sounds as, as fresh as a daisy but it really does yeah it really does that's another endearing quality of yeah. that particular tune it's it's a timeless classic isn't it yeah but the album just can't get it i don't know why don't know why well to be honest with you neither does lee mavers yeah yeah he's, he doesn't uh, like it either so there's you and the bloke who wrote it who don't like yeah. it and everyone else loves it yeah he's uh he's an interesting character isn't he very much so. I mean, how how much of it's actually true, you don't know, because nobody ever sees him. But, yeah. you know, um, but that's kind of half of the appeal of that, to be honest yeah. with you. That's kind of, it, the intriguingness of it yeah. makes you want to listen to it just as much, you know. Definitely. And obviously, we we got on quite well with John Power uh, from Cast. Mm-hmm. They were label mates in the 90s, and then they supported us, actually, in, uh, a couple of years ago on one of our tours, and we had a good laugh but that's where it ends in the sense that I wasn't going, oh, John, tell us some stories about the Lars, you know, because it must be so boring for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, so I've gone with that, and even under sufferance from you, and, and I was lying because it probably wasn't the first record I bought from a record shop. But everyone's allowed a little, a little lie every now and again, aren't they? Of course, mate. Let's, uh, let's talk uh, clubbing. What's the song that soundtrack your years clubbing? Well... Not a massive clubber, to be honest with this you. This can be indie um, clubs as well, Rick. Well, it, the, the, if there was any, that's the ones I would have gone to, and I did um, around the time of being 18 or 19 in York. There was In York, it's quite a small city, so you know there wasn't big 
indie clubs. There wasn't a big weekend indie night. They were always on a Tuesday night, you know, in a, a horrible, sticky, flawed venue where you always felt slightly threatened. Um, but that period of my life fell into the baggy kind of bit all certainly when the stone roses released their first album and the happy mondays who'd been going for a while but they suddenly came out with bummed which was just an absolutely brilliant album um and hearing rope for luck by the happy mondays in a club was always a thrill especially they did like a so many different remixes of it and there's a vince clark remix which is all about the vince clark remix oh yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant them synth stabs that he put on it were absolutely brilliant. So that that gives me memories of uh, of that time for me. But as I say, I wasn't really a huge clubber. Hmm. Um, we did actually spend quite a few. There was a, a club called Brighton Beach in Leeds um, that was a, a good indie night, uh, and we'd get the train over and we'd party. And there was always that horrible, right, there's a train at 10 to 2 or there's a train at half 4 and the club shuts at 3. Yeah. So you either leave when you're having an ace time at about, what, half 2, whatever it was, half quarter to 2 or whatever to get the last train or stay till the end and then have to sit on Leeds train station till half 4 or something, gurning. Uh, and the amount of times us lot yeah. were on platform, whatever it was, at Leeds train station in the middle of the night, and then the half an hour train journey home. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it for up for luck. It was it worth was. it for Vince Clark. And do you know what? It's like when you look at all the remixes back there. It, it was all Oakenfold and Weatherall, and Vince Clark had that one remix that, that and he just. Obviously, I, I, get, I suppose at the time he raised you one of the biggest bands in the UK, I suppose, but but he never seemed to follow that through with anything, like no, in regards to remixing. Yeah, no, he didn't, did he, weirdly? Uh, and, yeah, as you say, you know, I mean, he was an original Depeche Mode, wasn't he, Vince Clark? He's... Uh, you know, he was- that, that they, um, they cut their teeth in my club. They're, they're our local heroes. They were the resident yeah. band back in the uh, the early 80s. So. Yeah. And brilliant, brilliant stuff. I mean, just can't get enough. What an absolute classic pop song oh, that is. Maybe. You know, and then Yazoo, a lot, a lot of Yazoo stuff was brilliant. And then Erasure, you know, that circus album by Erasure oh. at the time, absolutely fantastic. You know, he's a very clever man, is Vince Clark. But yeah, he's under the radar of it as well, isn't he? I don't mm. know what he's up to. He lives. Yeah. He lives in. Uh, he lives in like a woods uh, out on the right outside of New York, and uh, and he's every now and again. I'm, I'm a ridiculous Vince Clark fan, so uh, I've uh, I've kind of uh, sort of followed his career relentlessly, really. But um, he posts his pictures up, and it's exactly what you'd imagine. He's kind of has to look like it's just wall to wall of like weird analog synthesizers. Yeah. It just looks like. You know, craft work could be knocking about in there. It's uh, oh, it's wonderful. But yeah, I always because you know when I think back to clubbing, then that that song's up there for me as well. I just think it's just it's such a tune, and I just always wonder why Vince Clark never followed it up with any other remixes for, uh, for yeah, the other bands that were strange. coming out. Then. Yeah, very strange. And funnily enough, actually, I think I don't know if it's the official video for Rope for Luck by the Happy Mondays, but there is a video of them. 
I guess it must be the official video, but it is actually the Happy Mondays in a club uh, with Ryder looking at the camera in this yeah. nightclub, looking off his box yeah. with loads of people dancing around him. So, you know, you got you get the vibe of it, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah, good times. An awful long time ago, but good times. It was an awful long time ago, but I'll tell you what, right, my introduction to that was every Saturday, if you watch the chart show, you'd be hoping it would be the indie chart because they'd rotate yeah. it. It'd be like the metal chart and then, like, the, the pop chart or whatever. And every, like, third week you'd get the indie chart. And uh, and it, yeah. you know, and it was like I didn't know at the time who like Cud were or anything like that. I'd, I'd yeah. find out about all these bands, and I remember seeing that video, and just like it's black and white, isn't it? And Sean's just That's sort right. of talking yeah. at the camera. And I remember just thinking, "Oh, I want to be where he is. Like yeah. that looks amazing." <laughs> yeah, totally. That yeah, the, the that time was just special, wasn't it? It was just a, a right time, mm. <clears throat> and it's funny because I think they they were. Through reading, they recorded um, Bummed in in a little Yorkshire town called Driffield, which is just a very small market town, really. Uh, and it, there was lots of squaddies there, apparently. And I think they walked, they went into this pub, and they had slightly longer hair and stuff, and a really awful atmosphere between them and these squaddies, these Manx scallies and lots of squaddies. And then as uh, as uh, Bez got his little uh, medicine bag out, <laughs> and then they were all suddenly great mates. There you go. <laughs> Who'd have thought that? <laughs> um, well, um, let, let's start at, at your home county because for track six, Rick, the favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. What a brilliant link! Perfect. Absolutely brilliant. Seamless. So, when you say home county, I'm North Yorkshire, but um, did a bit of browsing on what's from North Yorkshire and couldn't really think, so I've gone West Yorkshire <clears throat> and chosen the Long Pigs. They're from Sheffield, aren't they, the Long Pigs? Yeah. Well, they formed in Sheffield, didn't they? Um, and I've gone for them um, because I love that first album. Um, they supported us when they were breaking through and it was a pleasure to, to watch them every night before we played. Um, and it's a staple. If I ever go out DJing, you know, you put she said on and, and, and the room goes mental and it's weird because everyone seems to know it, but they didn't really get the due. They weren't as big a band as perhaps they should have been really. And in fact, uh, Richard Hall has obviously gone on to do very, very well for himself, but I just have good, Good memories of that kind of time um, with that particular song and another song they had called Jesus Christ. That was the first uh, single, wasn't it? And that was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, just, the, you know, it, had the, it kind of had a little bit of everything in there, didn't it? And uh, I'm a big fan of the Pixies and that kind of song. Pixies. So that was, so I'll go for that for, for a county kind of thing. I mean, again, there's so many in there. There's just so many songs. It, it, I think they're like that. That first album, uh, you know, she said was the, the big hit, and, and like soundtrack of our lives, we we supported Long Pigs twice on one of the very early tours, um, and and I, the first time they put Jesus Christ out, and no one had really picked up on it yet, and the second time the promoter must have been loving it because he booked them, and they'd released on and on and on and on, like blown yeah. up. And, yeah, 
and it, um, you know we, we was we was just thrilled because we was playing to a busy venue but um like oh my god like his voice was off the fucking chart it was like so solid his voice yeah brilliant yeah. Right. Well, he's still very active now, is Crispin, apparently. He's, he writes a lot of songs for other people and That's songs right. that you wouldn't imagine the singer out of the Long Pigs would be writing, really. I think he he does delve into more pop and charty kind of stuff. Yeah. But fair play to him, you know. Maybe I should do that. There's a few, there's a few indie bands that, that have done that. I've, I've interviewed um, I interviewed Preston from The Ordinary Boys and, uh, and, and, and Preston writes... Um, like he's wrote for like Enrique Iglesias and he's wrote like big hits for the chain smokers and that. And it's just, just quite strange when you just wonder what, what, you know, when some of these bands stop, what they go on to do. Cause I think, is it Joel from athlete as I think, did he write, has he wrote for like Adele and things like that? I think it's like, yeah, yeah. it's funny, isn't it? You, you would never know unless, mm. unless you were a fan enough to, to find these things out. You just never know, would you? Yeah. Yeah. It's but yeah, fair play to him really. Fair play to him. Well, you mentioned DJing, so for your last track, uh, Rick, you can play DJing and uh, turn someone onto a song that they may not know that you would like them to hear. Right, well, this perhaps wouldn't go down so well in a club on a Saturday night when everyone's hammered, because it's quite a long song. Um, but I discovered this band... And I think they've got quite big now. They're called King Gizzard and the... Is it the Lizard Wizard or the yeah. Wizard Lizard? Lizard is it, Wizard. Is it the Lizard yeah. Wizard or the Wizard Lizard? <laughs> what they should do is they should call... it To save any further confusion, they should call themselves King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Wizard Lizard. Yeah. And then we've got it all sorted, then, haven't we? Everyone's happy. So this is their... I think it was their debut album. This band are absolutely ridiculous for their... Um, for their prolificness, they, they come out with two albums a year sometimes, or sometimes three albums a year, uh, which is just bloody ridiculous because um, it takes us 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're taking the mickey, really, that's what they're doing. Uh, but this was off their debut album. It's a song called Head On um, Pill. Head On forward slash pill. And I just got into it straight away so it's probably about 13 minutes long and it just does loads of stuff in it it's quite psychedelic it's quite kind of edgy um and it is just a great song just and i think the fact it's so long is one of the reasons why i love it but that that's another reason why you couldn't really put it on in a club unless you were unless you were in some type of psychedelic setting it would probably work but I'm, I'm not so convinced how many people would know about this band. They're Australian. There's probably about 10 of them in the band. Um, and after I'd heard this song, I actually put it on YouTube so I could see what they looked like. And there was actually a live performance of this song that they'd done somewhere in Australia. And, and actually playing it live was as good as hearing it on the record. Yeah. So it was quite impressive. So And, and through that... I mean, I haven't got every album they've done because I, I wouldn't have any time to do anything else. <laughs> but they, they did have another album called Quarters, um, and there's a song on that called The River, which is an absolutely brilliant song. And again, that's probably about 12 minutes long and does a lot of different stuff in it. Um, so those two songs I would recommend if people dig that kind of stuff to go and have a listen to. 
Well, Rick, I put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast so people can go and listen to all the songs that uh, that you've mentioned and that we've spoke about. So uh, I'll uh, ensure there's some tracks by them on there. Um, as it feels, we're, we're we're on our way out of lockdown, fingers crossed. And uh, what are you what are you looking forward to, Rick? Well, we hopefully next year have got a busy year because everything's been cancelled this year, obviously. Um, just hold on one second. I don't know if you can hear that. But washing machine's on its final spin. <laughs> hold on a minute. <laughs> just, uh, oh, that's a first. I'm not editing that. That's great. Just pausing it for you, mate. Lovely. Uh, so, yes, so now... Um, well, fingers crossed, things are going to start to go back to normal. I mean, I'm kind of hopeful that by next summer, crowds will be able to stand next to each other and, and watch a gig properly again. Fingers crossed that'll happen. And if that does happen, we will be doing a lot of the festivals that we that got cancelled this year. We'll, we'll do them next year. And then also, fingers crossed, we tour every other year at Christmas and that isn't happening this year because it's not the year we would. So fingers crossed, we'll get to do that as well. So it could be a busy year for us next year if things go to plan. So I'm going to spend the rest of this year maybe thinking of a few new ideas. You know, I mean, we haven't seen each other as a band since uh, beginning of February, I think, when we, when we played our last gig. Uh, there's been an awful lot of correspondence, but just not actually physically being in the same room. So... You know, if the, if the year pans out, we'll we'll maybe get together and do some of that, and then and then have a busy year next year. Fingers crossed. Um, and so, if people want to keep up to speed with what's going on, is Twitter the best place to follow you? Well, if you shed seven shed seven's Facebook or shed seven's Twitter, I'm I'm active on my own Twitter. Um, people ask me stuff, and if I'm in the right frame of mind, I'll respond. Um, and we do. We have actually just put a live album on pre-order, uh, which is quite cool, really. We've not done a live album since about 2001. Uh, and, that you know, you think, well, that's not that long ago, is it? But it's 19 years ago, for crying out loud. So it's nice that we've got something new coming out, basically in lockdown, because the last couple of tours we've done and the odd bigger gig that we've been playing at, we've just recorded them all on the desk. So we had a lot of gigs recorded. So we decided to listen to a lot of gigs and cherry-pick good performances from various different gigs. All right, cool. So there's 21 songs on this new album. Uh, It's called Shed 7 Live, Another Night, Another Town. Uh, And it's taken from various gigs over the country over the last few years, and it does sound great. We've, We've got Chris Sheldon, who produced our maximum high album to mix it for us uh it sounds great and it's come it's coming out in various different colored vinyls uh, on cd and then i think when it comes out for, for real it'll be downloadable so that's nice this year it's coming out on the 4th of december but you can pre-order it now um so you know it's nice to think that there is no shed summer this year but it's the next best thing you can listen to us in your house and get drunk in your house and not have to stumble home get the last bus home or whatever you do so so that's quite cool and also because it's coming out on the 4th of december if you're struggling to know what to get your mates for christmas there, you go. there it is perfect 
perfect. <laughs> Rick, thanks so much, mate. It's been really nice talking records with you. Yes, that's all right, Stu. So apologies about the lying, but you can't have everything, can you? Mate, you made it up with a washing machine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mate. All right, mate. Thank you for that. Cheers, Stu. There you go. Lovely chat with Rick Witter. Um, top fella, top choices, top records um i hope you enjoyed that episode uh as mentioned at the beginning if you did go and have a look in the archives uh because there's a stack of amazing episodes for you to get uh stuck into uh who else didn't i mention at the beginning um oh chuck d um there's a good chat with chuck d on there um oh blimey uh therapy um Oh, God. Go and have a look. Go and have a look, because I'm, I'm never going to remember them all. Um, everything, everything. Vaccines. Uh, God knows. Stacks of them. Go and have a rummage. Right. I'm done uh, talking, so I will see you next time. Thanks ever so much for listening. One-stop shop is www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.